You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with me, your host, Zara Tangora, and Bobby Comforto, my mom, who is not here for the intro, but very much here for a very special welcome back from summer episode. Uh, This week, we have the distinct honor of speaking with Luca Romanova. Luca is an artist, bartender, and also a recipient of a paid-forward Charleston grant. Uh, Pay It Forward Charleston is a nonprofit organization providing assistance in the form of grants to Charleston's food and beverage community members in need. And Pay It Forward is also partnering with HRN for an awesome event this weekend um, at Highwire Distillery, September 9th, that Bobby and I uh, have the honor of hosting and being a part of. And we are so, so excited about it. And we are also so excited about having Luca on the show today. They are just such a wonderful human. We had such an incredible conversation with them. Uh, They talked to us about their experiences with Pay It Forward, as well as their experiences with the intersection of food and grief. And we had such a beautiful talk and we can't wait to share the episode with you. Um, So without any further ado, here is Luca and our conversation. And uh, please check out Pay It Forward Charleston. If you're going to be in the area, please get a ticket and come check us out uh, at the dinner. It's going to be delicious and fun. And as always, please uh, support HRN by becoming a member. Um, And if you have uh, any interest in being a guest on the show or us reading a listener letter, you can reach us at processing at heritageradionetwork.org or send us a direct message on Instagram at processing underscore podcast. Okay, so we are psyched to be back and can't wait to do more episodes all fall. Um, Okay, take care of yourselves and each other. Bye. We are lucky enough this morning to be joined by Luca Romanova. Uh, Luca, you are joining us from Charleston, South Carolina. Hello. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, guys. Good morning yeah, to you. It's a pleasure. It's a real pleasure to be with you this morning. And, um, you know, we have been doing all this kind of talking about um, Pay It Forward and and we're working with Pay It Forward, obviously, this coming weekend in Charleston, which is so exciting. And that's how we became linked up with you. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about like how your experience with Pay It Forward and what that's been like for you? Uh, yeah. So for Pay It Forward, um, it was during COVID-19 when I like requested for funds. Um, I requested for funds because I decided that I wanted to just start uh, my top surgery fund. Um, Top surgery in South Carolina isn't typically covered by um, any insurance unless you go through a lot of hoops. And I just decided that for my mental health and for, you know, the lack of the bureaucracy that I would have to go through, I decided just to pay it out of pocket, but to pay it out of pocket, it would cost about $8,000. So 
I started, I was like, I don't really know how I'm going to get $8,000. So um, I saw that we had pay it forward and I was like, oh, let me see if I can get some funds from there. And they um, were really, uh, I was really fortunate enough to get funds from pay it forward. So I have it in my little savings account um, for my top surgery fund. So I'm, you know, I've been building off and it's been really nice to, you know, be an adult with uh, Hmm. savings, um, saving to do something I want. Um, I don't know. It just uh, really, really changed my financial, like, confidence, I guess is Mm. the best way to say it. Um, So, yeah. Security. That's incredible. Yeah. Congratulations, first of all, on that, because that is such an important thing. And we just are so happy for you that you're going to be able to do that. Um, and yeah, I think there's such an interesting thing that I noticed, at least that came with, you know, the COVID crisis when it began back kind of in 2020. Um, and especially amongst like, you know, I mentioned to you Luca, before we started the show that I'm part of the restaurant community as well in the food and beverage community. And, you know, seeing how people rallied together around that to like, just kind of all save each other in financial crisis. And then as a result of that, I think just such more of an impetus has been put on community funding even than ever before. And people being able to say like, Hey, this is something that's important to me. Um, I need help. And like being able to be vulnerable in that way and being able to say like, Hey, my thing is important and I can't afford it necessarily right now. And that doesn't mean it shouldn't happen because it's super important to me. Um, I think it's so, I hope it has felt empowering to you. And I love to see that that's happening. And I, I like to know that like the food and beverage community in a way has really been kind of, um, a powerful part of that. Right. Well, you talk about mental health. You mentioned, Luca, you said before that it helped your mental health. And I think that is, that's another aspect of this is that the support is not just given for physical things, physical needs that people have, but for mental health. And I think that's so Mm. significant. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no. Um, Yeah, I think one of the biggest things with Food and Bev is um, the acceptance of my gender. Like a lot of people who are non-binary unfortunately have to be in a workplace where it's hostile and they aren't very accepted and I don't really have an issue where I work and everyone's pretty accepting some people don't get it but like you know I'm not gonna force everyone to understand my identity you know that's not my prerogative um so yeah I mean just being in an accepting community where people want to get my pronouns correct and want to call me by my preferred name and things like that is just really awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's, it's, it's what everyone deserves, you know, everyone in this world deserves to be seen and um, accepted and addressed as they want. And that's wonderful that you're in a community that you feel accepted in that way. It's really great. And the restaurant community is notoriously, you know, I mean, it's like such a family. It's interesting. I always talk about this, but like the people you meet when you work in restaurants, like you really like click with, it's like so hard. Like that family vibe is so hard. I mean, if you're lucky, of course, I'm sure there's some situations where maybe that's not the case, but I've experienced it like that. And it can be such a welcoming and wonderful kind of environment at its best. So so happy that you have that. Um, what else was kind of going on for you during COVID? So now we're kind of like almost three years in, like how in the beginning, like, where did you kind of like, what was your journey? Like maybe in the past couple of years, just like personally, professionally, like what, what's been going on for you? Uh, yeah. So COVID-19, when it became kind of like, it's 
lockdown and everything, that's when my father was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Um, so for me, COVID wasn't just COVID. It was also like, oh, my dad has cancer. Um, so it was really hard, honestly, because not only was I working in um, not Butcher and Bee at the time, I was actually working as a barista at Harbinger, which I also love. Like I love both of the owners very dearly and they really did help me whenever during COVID as well. Um, yeah, it, it was really hard for me because I was working with the public and I knew that like I'm putting myself at a risk. And if I saw my dad, I was thinking like, I'm putting him at a risk. And I was very careful. You know, I always took tests before I went home, things like that. So I could be the safest in visiting him as best we could during that time. Um, but uh, what changed was really like, I was just kind of tired at work, working at Harbinger and I wasn't making as much money as I make now as a bartender. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just kind of like was like, you know what, I'm going to do something different. So I did. And I went to Butcher and Bee and I'm still like fine with my other workers. They still love me. Um, Cool. And I love them the same way. I still support them, but it, yeah. it just kind of changed in that way. You must be a good friend. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. you. So I'm curious during COVID when there was a lockdown, were you not working at that time or what was happening when the initial lockdown happened? So like, I know you guys live in New York, right? Yes. Mm. So South Carolina decided, Hey, any safety and regulations, let's just throw it out of the window. So wow. we were in lockdown for a month wow. and oh wow, that was it. And then we all just went back to work. Oh, that explains, that helps just explain that. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. So your father was diagnosed with cancer early on and, you know, you're talking about like the difficulty in trying to see him and stuff. I mean, being, I feel like having a parent who is diagnosed with cancer is difficult enough. Having a parent diagnosed with cancer in a time like that, where it's like the the pressure of feeling nervous about seeing them is the rough. And then you're young, you know, you're 24 now, correct? Mm -hmm. And so even in that time, like kind of navigating the feelings around like, oh my God, this, is, you know, you mentioned when we were chatting before the show a bit about how like, um, you know, having a parent, you know, your father ultimately, I'm so sorry, passed away, right? And, you know, having a parent pass away at a young age, it does kind of, you're not expecting it. It's something kind of a bit out of order, um, how old was your dad? Uh, when he passed, he was 52. So sorry. No, I mean, these are just like such big issues and to kind of be going through all of this at such a volatile and uncertain time, like how did you find yourself in that time? Like where, where were you and what were you kind of, be, what were you able to do to kind of process and get through some of this stuff? Um, I tried for, um, previous like before my dad got diagnosed um I was actually really part of the Charleston DSA um and I just tried to like put myself in activist work it really was like one of those things where it's like I myself I consider myself like a leftist and I consider myself as um an anarchist and things like that so I like try to kind of like if I'm going to talk the talk I want to walk the walk kind of thing sure um, so I was trying to create a fund so 
for trans people in the South to have access to uh, money if they needed money for medical needs or um, if they needed transportation because Planned Parenthood is one of the only organizations in South Carolina that provides HRT. And we only have two Planned Parenthoods in South Carolina, one in Columbia, one in Charleston. Um, the one in Columbia doesn't offer HRT. So if you want to start HRT, you have to go to the one in Charleston. The one in Charleston is so overbooked for HRT appointments that it's almost impossible to really get it unless you're on a wait list. So it's really one of those issues of there is a lack of access to it. And I was thinking like, how do we, you know, even as a community, like, get these things like how are people who might have missed like um you know we all miss a prescription or something like what do they do in those instances like what what can we do to kind of just help each other out um and then I also found out that a lot of pharmacies can deny you your medication because they don't really or yeah here wow. they, they can do that um and you know, I I was just trying to do that, but it ultimately nothing happened um, because, you know, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and I kind of just like fell off. But when during like me working and like him and his diagnosis, I worked with my therapist and we were um, starting EMDR uh, work, but I wasn't in my EMDR. Like there was a a moment of like preparatory work that we had to do. And we did that for about, I want to say six months um, mm. before I could start reprocessing. So I was doing a lot of that and like a lot of internal work. And so you were doing processing, you were doing the processing before the reprocessing. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. I'm an EMDR therapist and that, so when you get ready, that preparation time is really assessing your situation and your strengths and, you know, what the targets are that you really want to work on. So you were processing during that time. You know, and if I can comment, you also said that you were doing advocacy as a way to support yourself. Because Zara asked, you know, how did you get through this? And you said that being an advocate, right, and working on that was helpful. Mm -hmm. And then working with the therapist. So, so tell yeah. us more about um, your situation now. When, how, when did your dad pass? He passed last month. Oh, um, actually, it was very recent. Yeah. Um, I have been trying to really just grab my footing, I guess, is more of the sense. I um, am still very, very, like, uh, I feel like I've done a lot of the work to not have my PTSD symptoms, Um be super you know debilitating for me um you know obviously my dad passing is a new trauma that I have to process and that's going to take some time to process um but now I'm really trying to find myself in my artwork and um I'm a painter so uh I kind of wanted to do a series on like my grief with my dad and kind of like how I'm not going to be able to have more memories with him and trying to respect the memories I do have. So I'm trying to connect in a way where it's like, I'm putting my emotions into a hobby because that's the way I feel like I best show my emotions, but also 
um, it's productive and it's not me just sitting and wallowing in my room going like, oh, you know, I miss my dad, which is fine. Like, yeah, grief are, comes in all forms, right? Absolutely. But, um, absolutely. There's an energy. There's an energy in grief, you know, and so it has to yeah. go somewhere. And you're saying that you're able to pour it into your art. You know, there's a wonderful quote that I love to repeat. It says, find what you love, do it as a practice, and it will help to make you sane. So I think it's so remarkable that you're, you know, finding your artwork as a way to express your grief feelings. Yeah. And Luca, I mean, just from spending a little bit of time with you this morning and just some, some of what you're telling us, you seem like such an active and like interested in an engaged human, you know, like everything you're saying about how you've kind of dealt with some of the hardships that you've in, uh, encountered so far in your life. Like, it seems like, you know, you have the instinct to be active, which is amazing. And, you know, people go through all kinds of ebbs and flows in life, but it's a wonderful and uh, really inspiring thing to like see someone go through hardships and feel like, you know, well, I'm going to, you know, I want to approach this with activism for both yourself and for other people. It's really incredible. So something that we, you had told us before, which I just think is interesting in terms of your backstory is that your parents had emigrated from Kazakhstan, correct? Mm -hmm. And they spoke Russian and you mm -hmm. spoke English as a child. And I was really struck by that of like, you know, you had mentioned it was difficult initially to kind of communicate. And I want to hear more about that. Um, and then you kind of went on to tell us a little bit about how the kind of binding with you guys was the, um, was food and pelmeni mm. particularly, which are delicious. I have friends who, uh, run a Eastern European pop-up called Dacha and they make delicious pelmeni. And like, so I, I just think that is really fascinating, that kind of whole part of your history. And if, you know, could you just talk to us a little bit more about what that was like growing up, having that kind of language barrier between you and your parents? Yeah. So it's not that I didn't know Russian or I didn't understand Russian because my parents told me like ever since, you know, until now, honestly, they're like, I was so shocked that you knew more than we thought you did because I do, I take in things like a sponge. Like I mm. listen to things and I understand a lot of Russian and they didn't, they didn't know that I like, understood what they were saying but like couldn't really respond back yeah um so when my parents immigrated here um I it was I was three my brother was seven and my parents didn't know English they didn't have like an education in America like they started with a credit score of zero you know nobody wants to start with that so they worked a lot. They worked to, you know, meet ends meet. Um, and that really required my mom and dad working three to four jobs most of the time, um, unfortunately. So, you know, I didn't learn Russian because I'm not, you know, around that. Like I'm going to school where people speak English. Yeah. You know, why, why would I know it if, you know, sure. I'm not around it, I'm not engaging in it. Um so it was one of those things where it was like, I'm losing the language more and more, you know, over the years. And as my parents work more and more, like over the years, you know, I, I'm losing that connection as well. Um, uh, one of the bigger, bigger things that happened to me was I was sexually assaulted at a young age, around five. And so sorry, Luca. That, yeah. Uh, 
it happened for a span of years and I didn't know how to verbalize it. Um, you know, I didn't know how to verbalize it in English. Uh, I certainly don't know how to verbalize it in Russian. And what happened was, I think I was just unable to like show my, like tell people my emotions. So I showed my emotions and it was, I was a bad kid. I screamed a lot. I cried for attention a lot. Like I was just super mischievous. A good kid with a bad problem is what you were. You were a good kid with a bad problem. um, And they didn't understand. They didn't get it. They were like, what's going on? Like, um, and you know what? Valid. I didn't even know what was going on. Um, So while this was happening to me and over the years, um, one of the best things I remember was cooking with my family. Um, we made a lot of parameshki um, and then perimeni. Um, and that was the biggest way I really connected with my mom and dad because I just really loved cooking. And my, you know, Russian stereotypes and background is like super sexist. So they were like, well, you're born a lady, so you needed to learn how to cook and clean for the house. So, oh my gosh, I did that one because, like, I had to, but two, I just really enjoyed cooking with my mom, and it was just a really great way for me and my mom to connect and my dad to connect. Um, we would have these, like, when they didn't work, which it was not often, we would have this, like, where we all come together and make many together and stuff like that. And that was like, honestly, one of the only ways I really connected with my family was eating at dinner with them or making food with them because I just wasn't able to honestly have a conversation about anything. And I was just so uh, obviously so traumatized what was happening to me at that time. I didn't know like how to really do anything. It was really, really difficult for me to just be a kid. Um, I remember like a lot of people, I think I started dealing with depression at a very, very young age. Um, night terrors was a super big thing for me. And it was really, really difficult for me. And my PTSD symptoms were bad. I I feel like I was dissociating a lot of the time. I didn't really know what was going on. And it didn't help that I couldn't speak to anybody about it. Oh, my goodness, yeah. (sighs) Wow, Luca. I mean, first off, I just want to say I'm so sorry that that happened to you. It's so traumatic. And what a, you know, really awful set of circumstances that not only did you not have, like, the language, because what young child can have the language to kind of really be able to speak about that in a way that it 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 makes no sense and it's terribly unfair and... And horrible, but then to also have the language barrier and, you know, I just want to kind of reaffirm what Bobby kind of said, you know, when you said you're a bad kid, like, I totally understand, like, that feeling in a way, because I also feel sometimes like I was a bad kid, but, like, trauma is not your fault. You know what I mean? Like things that happen onto you and like responding to it in a way where you're just like, you know, it comes out of you. And so I hope that in time, like Bobby said, you can look at yourself like a beautiful and awesome, wonderful kid that had, you know, a really terrible problem and something that happened to them. Cause you know, we can tell just from being with you for this <laughs> short time this morning that you're a wonderful human and I'm sure you're a wonderful kid too. Mm-hmm. And I have one point about the acting out part. 
you know, the worst would have been if it turned in. The fact that it came out, you didn't know how to let it out. You know, at that time, you weren't going to say, well, I'm going to paint or I'm going to advocate. You know, you don't have the tools that you have now, but that's the only way to let it out. It's just you, your family didn't understand it. The community around you, I guess, didn't understand it. And it was it was just you to hold on to and, and to let out. Yeah. It's too much for anyone, especially for a young child. So we're so sorry that that happened to you. But, you know, talking about the cooking as being the unifier, it's interesting, like the neutral zones we find in life. And for a lot of people, it happens to be in the kitchen. It happens to be around cooking, like um, almost, yeah, just those like kind of safe spaces. Bobby and I, when I was younger, like in high school and stuff, had a really difficult relationship, but we would find ourselves in the kitchen, particularly on Thanksgiving as like the neutral zone, you know? And it's, you know, life can be so fucking unfair for people and so difficult sometimes. And so as much as like, it sounds like you had such a traumatic upbringing in so many ways, I'm so glad to hear that like there was some neutral zone for you and a place where you felt like you could connect with your parents and where you could feel safe and seen. Some safety, uh, yeah. Yeah, and with, and it's just also interesting to me that it's with one of the most comforting, I mean, a dumpling, right? Could you tell us more about the foods for our listeners? You mentioned three, right? So what, tell me more about what it would be like to make that and... Yeah, um, so I come back, uh, like my background obviously is I'm Eastern European. Um, I'm ethnically Russian, but like my parents grew up in one of the satellite states um, in the USSR. So uh, the dishes that I ate were not what most kids ate. Um, So Federmeshki is just boiled dumplings. My mom likes to make it with uh, onions, um, a mixture of meat, and then um, some bay leaf. And it's just really, really delicious. Um, Parameni is uh, similar. The dough is a little bit different. Sometimes people add sour cream to it. um, And they, it's, usually a base of either potatoes or cherries, you know, a lot, everyone does it differently. Um, and I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum because <laughs> yeah. a lot of people have very strong opinions about these. So, you know, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, and also like one of the biggest things that my mom made was salads. Like my mom loved salads. And I think my favorite was like, uh, the only thing I can think of is like, kopusta, uh, which just means like, um, cabbage, but it's like just a, like a cabbage salad was like one of my favorite things. Um, there's a salad called like, uh, Korean, what is it? Korean carrots. It's like, and it's just like sliced carrots and it has coriander and it's like spicy and vinegary. It's delicious. Um, So yummy. Yeah. So I grew up eating a lot of just you know, traditionally Russian food. Mm, delicious. Those like are some of the most heartwarming, delicious flavors. And we have like, you know, in our family, Eastern European heritage, um, Bobby's mom, my grandma was from Yugoslavia and Bobby's dad was Russian. So there's a lot of that in our kind of fabric of our culinary quilt as well. And those like sweet and sour flavors and those very just specific kind of like sharp, sweet coriander when you say the coriander seed that kind of just delicious distinct flavor and the dark breads and like dumplings and sour cream and cabbage like I love that stuff so much it's like oh so delicious we like 
we have a thing in our family for stuffed cabbage, which is delicious. I don't know if, if you guys made that a lot, but love stuffed cabbage. And yeah, I just, it's a, it's a wonderful thing that you had that. And like, I mean, just thinking of, did you guys have the little pelmeni kind of, uh, cut out the like dye that you would cut them out with? No. So what my mom would do is that she would take a wine glass that's sharp and she would be like, you know, cut it with the wine glass. Oh, that's so awesome. (laughs) I love that. I love that memory. And so what's your relationship with food like now? Do you like to cook? Do you make any of these things? Do you still cook with your mom? Yeah, so uh, my relationship with food has been a little bit of a bumpy ride uh, in the sense of I had a lot of digestive issues when I was a child. Uh, you know, I'm adding a lot of things on top of course, of that. yeah. Um, so around the age of like, I would say I was in sixth grade. I think, I don't know how old you'd be, like 10, something around that age. I started throwing up a lot and I started having constipation and things like that where I would have to go to the doctor and they're like, yeah, you know, most kids don't get this. So I I decided to become vegetarian at the age of 13. Um, One, because a lot of the PETA videos really did scare me. (laughs) Sure, sure, yeah. Um, But also it really just helped me with my stomach um, and I really learned how to cook. Honestly, I feel like the best way, you know, someone knows how to cook is if they know how to cook vegetables. Um, That's true. Agreed. <laughs> uh, so I just started really getting into cooking. I started really getting into Italian food. Um, I started getting really uh, my favorite type of food, which is Asian food. Um, I really love the flavors, like the umami flavors, like my favorite peppers, probably Gauchichon, like... Mm. So good. I really just kind of embrace that I can't really eat meat that often and I'm not really supposed to have milk um, and things like that because it just, it's better for my stomach and kind of thing. Um, And then for like me and my mom uh, cooking, I always kind of cooked for her. Um, Recently, she kind of stopped cooking because she would have to cook for my dad, like these cancer meals that were very highly specific. So she kind of is exhausted from cooking. And I think that's really, really valid. So whenever I come over, I usually like make some type of stew or like I get sushi or something like that. And that and we kind of connect through that way. You know, when you said before that you had stomach issues as a kid, um, is a very famous book, and I love the title of it. It says, The Body Keeps the Score. And it's really, mm-hmm. that's so much an issue. It's so understandable why everything, you held everything in, and then your body was affected by that. But the fact that you went to become a vegetarian and found your own way through that, you know, and also somebody who's also lactose intolerant, myself, I started a little goat cheese. is one little cheese. It's a little easier, you know, than having uh, whole milk. So if you ever need a little cheese, try goat cheese. <laughs> yeah it is interesting how the body does keep the score and again though like uh, just kind of putting the pieces together and kind of a testament to who you seem to be as a person just like you know proactive and like feeling like okay my body wasn't feeling good so I'm gonna choose vegetarianism instead like Bobby was kind of saying before right and she, mom, you say this a lot about how people's strengths and weaknesses are kind of the same. So you're talking about acting out as a child. And then Bobby, you mentioned how it's better than turning it inward. 
And I mean, part of that is also like seeming to have carried through to who you are as you're becoming uh, an adult and, a, you know, a, a, and going on in years and just finding a way to kind of keep it outward and to be like, you know, using that kind of vibe to do things for yourself rather than to, you know, put them inward. Because it's hard when people go through this kind of trauma, a lot of the times it does reflect inward and it is punishing to yourself and to find a way to uh, to utilize it and not to like inflict so much pain on yourself. Well, that's is the really mark of resilience. Thing. You know, that's what resilience is. And that's what we talk about so much in, in bereavement and trauma work is, you know, what are the strengths that we have that help us survive the, the most impossible? And that some people just have a drive, which is what we're seeing in your story, you know, and a drive. And now a drive to be authentic. And really, authenticity is the, you know, the key really to um, peace, peace inside, you know, where you can really be your true self. Yeah, absolutely. So, Luca, you were also mentioning that you're interested now in becoming a, a therapist. Yeah. Tell us more. <laughs> so awesome. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so I found a very wonderful therapist. Her name is Jen Bennett. Um, love her very much. Um, they uh, were going through EMDR training when I started being a client with them. And she, um, as we prepared for, you know, reprocessing and like, you know, uh, the bilateral stimulation and things like that, um, I really was like, oh, wow, like therapy does work. Because I've had, to, like, I've had multiple therapists and I feel like uh, the worst is therapist shopping. Um, That's it's so just, hard so hard to find somebody to connect to and that you feel safe enough to be super vulnerable. Like you're telling this person, like, you know, uh, things that you don't want to tell people. <laughs> and so, of course. um, I was so grateful to find her and do work with her. And, um, as I was going through the work and more and more healing was happening. And, um, I, I think I can fully say that, like, I'm, fully healed from like my child trauma, um, um, through EMDR. Um, she was like, you know, what, are, what are your plans? And I was like, you know, I was thinking maybe I should become a therapist. I love listening to people's stories. Like I want to be compassionate and empathetic towards people and try to help them the way you help me in the sense of like, you know, there's just so much more relief I have in life. Um, through reprocessing and things like that. And she said, you know, you should go for it. You should totally do that. And I just kind of decided um, I'm staying in, uh, I was going to stay in Charleston for a little bit longer because of my dad's illness. Um, and she was like, well, if you're staying here for longer, why don't you just get your master's and like, just start work? And I was like, yeah, you're right. So I'm applying to, um, a couple of schools, hopefully, you know, I get in. Yay. Um, Yay. Uh, so yeah, I'm trying to get my master's in social work and I'm trying to specialize in trauma work. It's wonderful. I always tell Zara, I'm very proud to be a social worker. I mean, there's all different ways that you can be a therapist and everybody has different training. But to me, social work, just the name of it, you know, is that, you know, social, you know, we, human beings, humanity. And that's, that's the first thing is like being um, interconnected 
and being supportive and, and recognizing the community. And one of the things about social work training is that you do this field work and it's always in a different type of community. It's not individual. Either you're at a, a center or a, a community of people that are, um, you know, disadvantaged in some way. So proud to be have another social worker join the force. <laughs> yeah, really so cool. Such a wonderful thing to do with all of the empathy and compassion and uh, drive that you seem to have as a person. It just seems like, again, from knowing you for a very short time, <laughs> seems like it will be like an awesome fit. And that's, it's so great. And um, yeah, we wish you like so much success in that. And it seems like such a beautiful thing to do with yeah, your skill set and your, yeah, your and personality. Yeah, and being brave so. enough to come on the show today, you know, is real. And tell your story, you know, is really what you, like you said before, stories are what it's all about. And that you love listening to other people's stories. And now, you know, people are going to hear your story. And as human beings, our sharing of our stories makes us feel safer, makes us feel less vulnerable, you know. And less crazy. And connected. Yeah, and connected. Totally. And, and you know, just how we kind of began talking in this episode, and you're talking about pay it forward and how they helped you get the money you need for your top surgery. And just to be able to say that, you know what I mean, is really important because other people might hear this show and be like, hey, there was something that I needed and I felt like, should I reach out and ask for assistance in that way? My best friend also just got top surgery and they were wondering, should I start a GoFundMe? And they had all this reluctance about it. because, And then they started kind of listening more to other people's stories about it and they felt more comfortable. And it's huge. It's so, it's such a big and generous thing to do, but also so incredibly helpful, I think, in sharing our stories because it gives people validation about like, oh, I'm not alone with this. I'm not whatever my, my problem or issue or thing or challenge or success is, you know, in life, like I can kind of connect, like the human connection is so huge. So just coming on was, is such a big thing and it's, and it's really important. And you never, the interesting thing is you never can really see the chain of how it affects other people, like who will listen and how, what their situation is and how this will end up changing our lives, but it really can. And it's, it's just such a, a beautiful and generous thing for you to do. So we're so appreciative to you for for sharing. And also part of why we so value Heritage um, Network, Radio Network, because they have you know, promoted our show where people can tell their stories. I mean, there's the, the whole network has other stories, but it's humankind stories about, about um, pain and suffering and trauma and healing and resilience. You know, we feel so proud to have be part of it. Yeah, thank you guys for having me, honestly. <laughs> yes, we're so psyched. I mean, it was just like such a wonderful connection to me. And um, so, you know, as we kind of like wind down in each one of these episodes, we ask all our guests like the same question. It's interesting because your, I mean, your father's um, passing was so recent. And, uh, but, you know, you also talked to us a lot about um, other traumatic things that happened in your life and childhood. And so we would kind of always ask everyone the same question, which is if you could tell your younger self something, one bit of advice at the beginning of this journey with grief or trauma, or wherever you see yourself at that point, you know, in your healing or in your story, uh, in your case, it can really obviously relate to any one of the things that on any point in your life where you saw yourself maybe lost and needing advice. Do you have any kind of bit of advice to yourself at any one of those times? Um, I think the best advice for me is uh, be your authentic self. Like, it's really hard to be, you know, queer in the South, especially because I grew up in a like kind of 
a town that was a little bit farther away from a city and stuff like that. And people were very homophobic towards me and super everything towards me. I, I think like the biggest thing was like, just be yourself. Cause you know, when I got out of college and <clears throat> people from high school like start talking to you for some reason, you know, like that weird yeah. time. They were like, you know, I'm really glad that you, you know, showed who you really were because it helped me discover, you know, that I was gay too. And this, like all this stuff. And I was like, I didn't even know, you know, I, I didn't know that that was happening, but I think, yeah, I think just seeing other queer people exist and, uh, live their lives like happily. I think that's the best thing you can A hundred percent. And yeah, it's, an, it's incredible. And, you know, I just also wanted to say that you were kind of mentioning earlier about your dad and the artwork that you're, and the paintings that you're doing to kind of, you know, try to deal with the grief a bit. And you said something specifically about not making new memories with a parent or with a loved one in general. And like my dad passed away like four years ago and we were incredibly close. And so I actually like have dealt with that like real feeling, like that specific, like not making a new memory thing. And it's so hard, but Bobby and I sometimes talk about on the show, which is a concept that she brought to my attention. We've talked about it with several guests who have like lost loved ones of, continuing bonds and how you kind of continue the relationship and it, it, it physically I guess you know we don't make new memories but there's this whole other relationship that you can potentially discover with a lost loved one after they die and it seems like you're really on the right track with like processing it with your painting and just you know with all the kind of work you're doing um, but it's just kind of an interesting thing to think about. And I, I look forward to looking at your paintings and seeing kind of, you know, how that all the series develops, but, you know, perhaps that's something you're going to find in that way or in, in other ways, just kind of internally with your dad. And so I'd love for our uh, listeners to hear a little bit about how they can see some of your work. Do you have, um, an Instagram or like a website or something of where people can check it out? Yeah, so my Instagram is Linky Lucas, and it's L-A-N-K-Y-Y, and then Lucas with a C. Um, I don't go by Lucas anymore. I used to go by Lucas, but I go by Luca now. Um, and honestly, I'm not the proudest of my work that I have on there now, but I'm hopefully going to develop some more work. And um, it's quite difficult to, <laughs> I've learned that if you paint humongously, it's hard to capture that uh, <laughs> yes. image. So I've been painting like six foot paintings and five foot paintings, and it's really hard for me to get a good picture of mm -hmm. it. So um, I can't show a lot of my work because I work really, really big. Cool. But um, I'm trying to start working smaller and trying to work on multiple things at once instead of just like one big painting instead. So hopefully I, um, I have my own studio space in the new house I live in. So, um, you're seeing me in my studio space actually. <laughs> so cool. Um, so I'm hoping that, uh, my studio space and my practice like just comes through, you know, so awesome. you know one thing I noticed on your Instagram was a booklet on discussing, um, gender identity. Did you create that booklet or do you were part of creating it? What was it? Yeah. So I created the entire thing. I did Great. the imagery and I did the typing as well, or like, I guess, wording or yeah. Yeah, writing of it. 
Um, I think a lot of people have difficulty understanding uh, pronouns and a lot of people take it way too personally. Like a lot of, <laughs> I, I would say a lot of people who are cisgendered get very offended when a trans person tells them like, hey, actually I use this pronoun. I would prefer you to do this. Um, I think people take it way, way too like, oh, like I'm hurting my friend, like this, that, and the other one. In reality, most trans people just want you to go, oh, sorry, they, or oh, sorry, he or she, and move on because it's not anything big, you know? Um, So I kind of wanted to have that like gap where it's like, what are, you know, what are pronouns? Like, what are these things? Like, what are we doing? What is society? (laughs) And kind of like break it down and uh, understand that like, just because someone uses a certain pronoun doesn't mean they have to look this certain way. And that gender identity is different from the way you show yourself and gender expression as well. And that um, hopefully, you know, uh, with more education coming out, that there are more than just two genders. And we are, we just created words to describe what we look like, essentially, (laughs) Um, instead of like what we feel inside. It was a great totally. little booklet. I would advise anybody who wants to learn more about it to look at that booklet. I thought it was great. You did a great job. So awesome. And again, very generous. You know what I mean? Like a big, like a big give. Um, and that's awesome. And uh, yeah, you just are such an inspiring person. In the 45 minutes that we've spent with you, I'm like blown away mm-hmm. and impressed. And I think of myself at 24 and I'm like god I wish I could be like them you're so cool (laughs) you know and you just are so and really as Bobby said really so resilient and that's really impressive and it's and it's inspiring because you know uh I know a ton of people who have gone through traumatic situations and not everyone is able to kind of deal with stuff like how you're explaining you deal with stuff and it's it's wonderful and it's inspiring and I know it's going to really help a lot of people to hear your story and uh we have just so enjoyed our morning with you. It's been amazing. We forgot and we what do we do. Ask one, right. I know. We asked one more thing, which is if we were lucky enough to get to all have a meal together later today, what would we all bring? What would we all bring? Okay. I think I would bring... Okay, for the sake of the podcast, I want to say I'd bring Paramini. Yes, right? please. <laughs> please, <laughs> please bring it. <laughs> um, but I love spring rolls, so oh. I would also bring spring rolls. You know, you could bring both. Yes. Just exactly, exactly. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Anything wrapped in, like, a dough is delicious. The spring roll, we have, like, the crunch. And the dumplings, the soft, squishy, yum. Oh, my God, a dumpling. So fabulous. Bobby? Well, I would, the other day I made you a salad that you loved. And in honor of your mother, Luca, we would make, uh, I would make a salad. And the salad I would make would have um, greens, lots of interesting greens, but sliced apples, um, pistachio nuts, cranberries, shaved Romano or pecorino pecorino cheese, and um, my fig dressing. Mm. some sweet and sour that's a chef's kiss that was (laughs) delicious um okay what am I going to bring you know what I feel really compelled I'm going to throw like a fringe thing in there but I think (laughs) it goes a blintz folks a delicious blintz how fabulous I haven't had a blintz in a long time it reminds me so much of eastern European heritage but maybe it could even be a savory blintz and a vegetarian blintz with like sauteed cabbage and onions so like a delicious kind of yummy cabbage blend. Sour cream. 
dollop of sour, sour cream. cream. <laughs> Little dill. Actually, you know what else I really love? I started making borscht a couple uh, winters ago, but not cold borscht, like hot borscht with like all kinds of like different fun ingredients in it. Just like basically anything red I could find. Um, so maybe I'd also bring some borscht. This is going to be a huge meal. I'm so excited. Well, yes. I'm very hungry. <laughs> um, Luca, this was really awesome. You're a wonderful person. And I hope maybe I can pop in to your to your bar next week when we're down in Charleston and give you a hug because it would be nice to get to meet you in person and thank you so much for joining us and for telling your story and talking about pay it forward and being part of this whole thing it's been a joy a true delight and you are lovely and wonderful and awesome and cool and yeah we just wish you all the best things in life and in your journey and in your work and your personal life and your healing and everything so thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me Yes, of course. Hopefully we will get to talk to you again soon. Okay, bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.